Hello, I'm your host, Elise Capron. And today on the MJ Cast, hey, it's just me for the EQA. Welcome. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass. You become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. (laughs) Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion and interviews on the King of Pop. So as you know, listeners, in the past, we've done Q&As with many members of our team. Jamin's done one. Our beloved Q has done one. Charlie Thompson's done one. We had a group Brit, the big Brit Q&A with uh, Charlie came back and also our fantastic audio editor and frequent guest co-host Charlie Carter and Summer Habib. So we love doing these Q&As. They're a way to, you know, kind of go outside a little bit of our normal format and And, you know, go a little bit deeper on the personal side, really have a different type of fan chat. Um, They're fun. And as for me, you know, it's been a while since... I've been the one answering any questions. I feel like I've mostly been asking questions for quite a while on the show now. So this is kind of fun and different and a little bit nerve wracking for me. But I am here in San Diego. I've got my cup of tea because even though it's the middle of August, uh, I am recording this as Hurricane Hillary is hitting California. So there's a lot of rain coming down. It's kind of cold. Hopefully I won't get swept away. My thoughts go out to anyone, especially out in the Southern California uh, mountains and desert. They're getting hit the hardest. Hope you guys are all okay. But yeah, I'm really excited to, to get to do this. And, you know, it's a chance for us to have a little, a little heart to heart. I have not been as engaged on social media and things like that for the last year and a half since my daughter was born. Hope you guys understand that excuse. And so it was really nice to get your questions and to sort of reconnect a bit, I think, with our listeners community, which, you know, I'm so grateful for all of you. You're really amazing. Um, And thank you on that note for your questions. I was astounded at how many questions came in. um, And I really appreciate them, you guys. And I wish that we could all sit around a big table and I'll be talking together. But here I am. Hopefully also this will be a little introduction or reintroduction to me if you're a newer listener or if it's been a while. You know, I haven't talked about my fan story in quite a long time, that sort of thing. So I think this will be fun. So yeah, we got questions from a range of our social media platforms as well as email. And I've done my best to put them in an order that seems to make sense a little bit from a narrative perspective. So we'll see how that works out. But yeah, I got a lot of questions. I will say I'm not going to be able to answer in detail every single question. Some of them I feel that someone else on our team might simply be a better person to answer that question. For example, we have several very specific allegations questions that um, look, I mean, on our team, we have one of, I would consider the world's expert 
on the history and particularly the legal history of the Michael Jackson allegations, investigative reporter Charlie Thompson. And he is the guy. I am not going to even try to analyze things in the way that he ever could. So um, some of those questions I will leave for him. But even the ones I can't answer or may run out of time to answer today, please rest assured that those are questions that we are putting in our little hat for the future to discuss on future episodes. So all of them have been, you know, heard and uh, and recorded and we'll do something with. And, you know, thank you guys again. But we're going to get through what we can today. And I hope that this is a fun and uh, informative episode. And thank you guys again for tuning in. I really, really appreciate you. So we're going to start, first of all, from, let's see, from Instagram. We have Simon Paul Wilkie, who has said, brave fire emoji. Yes, it is brave, you guys. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, (laughs) I don't usually share myself that much. And it's like kind of funny, like being here recording by myself too. I mean, I don't have to deal with the logistics of trying to help a guest figure out our recording system. I thought this would be so like easy peasy, but just sitting here talking to myself, it's like a whole new thing. (laughs) And also thank you, Simon. I know you are, you've engaged with us for a really long time and I appreciate you. Um, Anyway, your comment is as a longtime lover of the show, I'd love to know what it was like going from listener to presenter. Any surprises on how the show is put together and what it takes to make an episode I couldn't think of any way to say thank you better than contributing my own time to something I adore so much. Keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. That's really, really a nice question and part of why I wanted to start with that one. So thank you. Now, I think this is maybe an opportunity for me to, first of all, just give a little bit of backstory about myself as a fan for any new listeners or just, you know, if it's been a while. And I think it might help give a little bit of context into also why maybe sometimes I approach things the way I do, and just who I am in the fan community. So first of all, I want to say that certain team members, which, you know, our co our founder of the show, co-founder of the show, Jamin Bull, also Q, who was an original co-founder of the show as well, and Charlie Thompson, they go so far back in the fan community. One thing about working on this show is I have come to respect the really longtime fans so much. They, they've been through it all. They've been dealing with the politics of the fan community for ages. They were there for all the key moments as they were happening and analyzing them as serious fans, you know, from the get-go. Uh, and and that goes a lot for a lot of our extended kind of podcast family as well. You know, folks like Damian Shields. I mean, it's really remarkable. And my just respect for these people and for any really longtime fans is immense and only continues to grow. Um, if you are a newer fan, pay attention to these these people. You know, they they've been through it all and they have perspective that newer fans can't have. I'm not saying that's a reason to ever disregard newer fans at all. I think the newer generation of fans bring in something incredibly valuable too. But, you know, listen to these guys, not just them, but but any longtime fans. I think it's really important. So the reason I mention all that is because while I am a longtime fan, my fandom goes back to being a little tiny 
brand new child. <laughs> I've been listening to Michael Jackson for as long as I can remember. I'll talk more about Captain EO later, but I think my my kind of gateway <laughs> into Michael Jackson was Captain EO, which I first went to, I mean, not long after it opened at Disneyland. I'm, I've lived almost my entire life in Southern California. So I've been a massive fan since I mean, since as long as I can remember, since kind of the mid to late-ish 80s. And so Michael Jackson, I usually describe, has always been kind of part of the tapestry of my life. However, that said, I was never part of the organized fan community. It's not my fan experience. I didn't really have a lot of Michael Jackson fan friends. I always had a, a friend or two who also was a fan and we could do MJ things together, but I didn't, I was not part of that organized fan community. So it was completely different. And I understood things that were happening to Michael Jackson on just a totally different way than these people who were really entrenched in the fan community. For that reason, when I ended up kind of getting involved with the fan community via the podcast. You know, it was it was overwhelming and it was an amazing learning experience for me and I'm I'm still learning. It's just a whole different thing. I don't think being part of the fan community or not makes you a better or a worse fan. They're just different experiences, but it still has been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot to absorb and it's been wonderful, but like I said it can kind of be a little bit mind-blowing too in a lot of great ways but some negative ways. So, and by that I mean kind of realizing all also getting entrenched in the politics of the fan community. Anyway, my point is I come from a very different background fan-wise than a lot of our team members and extended podcast family. So I think that's important to remember. Now to your actual question here, what was it like to go from being a listener to a presenter? So my little backstory with the podcast is that the podcast itself was founded uh, by Jamin and Q in 2015. I discovered the MJ cast, I think it was probably like a year or so after they had started. Um, in fact, I could pinpoint it if I would had remembered to look that up. It was actually when Paris, she had tweeted about the MJ cast. And I was like, I remember I even went on Facebook and I was and I said, how did I only just learn that there was a Michael Jackson podcast? Oh my gosh. And I was just in love with it from the very start. Again, kind of pointing to my not having been part of the organized band community. I immediately really latched on to Jamin and Q and the whole team because they became my little fan family. I think in the way that a lot of us listen to podcasts and, you know, we're talking back and we're, we're having our own little conversation with these people. That's really how it was. And I felt very connected with the guys and just so grateful for what they were doing. So at one point, I should I want to say for the record, I actually never had any intention of being on the record the show the recordings themselves what i did want to do is i really really loved what the mj cast was doing the reason i loved it was because it wasn't fluff i felt that it was being taken really seriously and that the team was you know analyzing all aspects of michael jackson and you know, looking at the highs and the lows of his life. That's what I've always valued about this project. I know that some people sometimes feel that we're too negative. You know, I hear you, that's fine. But I find it to be a crucial point of the mission of this 
project to look at all sides of who he was and that that is actually how we get to the core of his genius as a person and an artist. I think everything needs to be there. So anyway, I I was just really in love with the show and I simply wanted to support them and I couldn't imagine how they were doing this all on their own. It was a massive project. And I thought, these guys, like they maybe they need help with something. Um, I wasn't trying to like wedge my way into the team or anything. I just genuinely thought I would like to support this. And um, I know Jamin and Q had had a couple of kind of podcast assistant teammates come and go. But I think when I approached them, it was pretty much the two of them doing most of it. And I just reached out and said how much I appreciated what they were doing. And if they ever needed, you know, any background help, like for anything, even just little stuff that I was happy to help. That was, that was it. And yeah, at one point they, but it was all, it was all supposed to just be background work initially. So at one point I think they decided, yes, we do need some help. Let's try this person. And I didn't know them beforehand, but they brought me into their circle and were just so welcoming and wonderful. And um, yeah, I started off doing some background projects that (laughs) still haven't really, (laughs) they were pretty, one of them in particular was a very, very big project that I I don't know if it's ever going to come together or not. I'd like it to, but we'll see. And then it just sort of, you know, we really had a natural chemistry, I think, and all got along and we found that we had different skills we all brought to the table. And I started popping on episodes once in a while And it just kind of progressed from there. Eventually, when, oh, and that was actually, I can tell you, was in late, it was late 2017 that I officially joined the team. It was, and then Q, it was a couple years later, Q decided to to step down and pursue some other interests for a while, although Q, we love Q. Q is is still makes appearances in the show. And Q, I feel like in many ways is the, the heart of the MJ cast. So that will never change. We miss him. Q, you have to come on an episode soon. But it was a couple years after that, that he decided to step down. And then uh, I jumped in to kind of primarily run the show along with Jamin. And then of course, now we have Charlie Carter, who is doing amazing, and we could not make the show without him. And Charlie Thompson, who Charlie, you guys know, is just so incredible um, in terms of everything he brings to the show and all the knowledge and experience and insights. We are so, so lucky to have Charlie on board. So um, yeah, since then, that's kind of how it's looked from our team perspective. And again, what I really do value there is we all kind of bring different skills, I think, and insights to the table. And in that way, we're able to keep moving forward. Going from listener to presenter... Well, I would say just the big thing is, man, you guys, creating a podcast, it's a lot of work. It's really hard. (laughs) And our team is spread out literally all around the world. So even coordinating time, timeframes, and especially when it comes to guests who might be based in other places and might have trouble with the technology we're using, all that stuff is a lot. Covering all of social media is a lot. We're not doing that as much anymore. You guys have probably noticed. Uh, We used to be very, very active on Twitter. Charlie Thompson is carrying, mostly carrying the torch on Twitter these days. We've all kind of branched out to, I think, focus on maybe each a different platform. And also three of the four of our team have small children right now. So I know our season's been a little bit slower. But I'd say, yeah, the biggest thing in terms of being on the show is, well, obviously, now I'm the one reaching out to all of our guests, trying to make connections. I One thing I do think I bring to the table is I, in, in most cases, I'm actually pretty good at like locking in 
guests and building those kind of relationships. And I, I love doing that part of it. And I think presenting too, it's about, I mean, preparing for interviews is a big deal, really making sure, you know, we've got all the right questions in place. We do a lot of prep. Also all the prep, just trying to get people on the show. Like people will say they want to come on and then they go MIA on you for three months, things like that. Um, Making sure recordings actually (laughs) are functional and work. We've had a lot of tech issues this year, despite using actually better programs, I think, than we used to. But maybe the biggest thing is simply that being becoming part of the team, I have been integrated into the fan community in such deep, even profound ways that it's really changed my life. And I think I thank Jamin as my, you know, current <laughs> main squeeze on the show and also Q for his original support and continuing friendship. You know, again, they just I was the newbie on the block and they were so incredible and so supportive and so kind to me as I learned the ropes, navigating what it is a wonderful, but sometimes real crazy fan community. Um, There are a lot of little, you know, you you can get tripped up real fast. And I've made mistakes along the way, but I'm always learning from them and um, trying to build community around me. And A big thing for me too, being part of the team is also realizing that, you know, every type of fan does have something to offer. We all bring something to the table, listeners and team podcast team members and and everyone. And I, I love that. And I would try to always keep that in mind. But uh, any surprises in the show about how the show is put together and what it takes to make an episode? Yeah, like I said, I think just the logistics, it it really is a lot. It can sometimes take weeks just to pull something together. And then you might have a glitch in the audio and it takes weeks to sort that out. <laughs> and keeping everybody happy also, I think like you build relationships with people and then if something gets said online that's like taken out of context, you have to deal with them being mad at you. It's, you know, there's a lot of politics there um, that have been sometimes tricky to navigate. But overall, it's been an incredibly rewarding, if time-consuming and sometimes stressful experience. But I, I really love it. And I should say, I guess, to just being able to directly speak with a lot of these like Michael Jackson collaborators, um, getting thrown into that mix was pretty wild. And the fact that I can write to certain people directly and ask questions and everything still blows my mind a little bit. Um, and it's really special. I try not to ever like abuse that access. I don't just shoot off questions or ask favors at all. I try to be very, very respectful of boundaries, which I think has long-term effects in terms of keeping things, you know, positive and, and happy and getting people on shows when we need them. And yeah, I'll just keep working towards that and keep trying to put together good shows for you guys. But thank you for that question, Simon. It was nice to reflect on my background with, with the team. Um, basically, I just feel so lucky to be here. Um, I would say for any of you who are ever thinking about doing Michael, your own Michael Jackson projects, you know, hey, do it, get out of there and do it. This, you know, this started as a just a dream of putting something together and and look what it became and how many years into it we are at this point. So, you know, do it. Again, we all have something to offer. If you have a specialty in one area, go like put it on YouTube, make a podcast, write a book, we want to read it. We'll support it. Okay, so moving on to some other questions here. Uh, So this one is from Instagram. It's from Zolo Photo, who is actually my friend Taryn, one of my very wonderful friends, who is also a 
Michael Jackson fan and has always been a supporter of all my obsessions around that. So thank you, Taryn. So she asks, what are all the Michael Jackson related places you've visited? And what's your favorite? So I, most of the places I've gone have just been kind of the standard places around LA. So I've gone to the Thriller House, of course, gone to Forest Lawn many times. At this point, I've spent a lot of many, many hours like sitting (laughs) at Forest Lawn and chatting with friends and hugging people and having some really special moments. I've gone to the Gates of Neverland quite a few times. Again, like we have this thing where you just, you know, you go and you like sit there for three hours and it's just great and special and you spend time with friends and there's no no distractions and it's really kind of wonderful. Um, I've gone to the Gardner Street Elementary. I have not gone to the Carrollwood House. I just, that's not really even something I want to do, to be honest. My favorite, I would say, is Havenhurst. It's just hard to compete with that. Uh, I went there last fall for the first time for the Thriller Night Party. It, if you have read about my reports on that or seen the photos we posted online, it was an absolutely overwhelming experience. The party itself is amazing. It's not happening this fall. I'm sure most of you know, but it will hopefully be back after that. Um, They will be filming the biopic there apparently this fall. So can't host the party, but the party takes over like a huge portion of the house and, um, and is great for, you know, reasons I've already talked about, but I think what was so special is, I mean, so much happened there, right? It's like just the epicenter of so many things. And now when for Thriller Night, they also had Michael's recording studio uh, opened, which I believe had been closed up for a very long time. You couldn't actually walk in. They had a plexiglass screen, but um, but you could look inside and it was really neat. And then in the whole area where the dance floor was, uh, Michael's room was kind of right above that space. There was a patio and I guess his his main room was there. So it's just a place that's so steeped in so much history and just felt so, it just felt so overwhelmingly positive being there. Um, I was just really happy. Obviously I was like around hundreds of fans too and Jackson family members and collaborators and tons of people were there. So that helped. But still that house is just stunning. It is even bigger than I thought it was. You don't, you can't even understand, I think how, because it's like a normal residential neighborhood and this house and the property are huge. And I was just trying to wrap my head around how this large a lot could even be in this residential neighborhood. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just, it's really special. So that absolutely number one, hope to get to go to the party again. Taryn, I hope you can come with me at some point. That would be really fun. Or you've got to bring your son. Taryn's son is young, is turning out to be very into Michael Jackson, and I could not be happier. So we'll all go one of these days. So my podcast colleague, Charlie Carter, Thanks for all you do, Charlie. Asked on Twitter, what is your favorite MJ song and why is it Just Good Friends? <laughs> uh, my favorite song is not Just Good Friends, <laughs> but I will always be Club JGF. Always. I will always be a supporter of that song and I do not understand why it gets criticized so much. It personally brings me a lot of joy. And uh, if you guys have heard one of our recent episodes, episode 158, Charlie Thompson, uh, he does make a great case for loving Just Good Friends, which I, Charlie, I appreciated that so much. So thank you. So, you know, it's on the Bad Album. Bad Album is my favorite MJ album for sure. Um, I think one of the reasons it stands out to me, though, is that album is so highly produced. And so Just Good Friends 
sure, you can argue it's not at the level of some of the songs, but it has this for me, like very refreshing rawness and funkiness and just pure joy that is different from most of the rest of the tracks on the album. We hear this energy from Michael that we just really don't get elsewhere. Um, And it's just fun. It's like these two guys having a great time. Um, So yeah, that's, that's really why I I do love it. And I will always love it. And you're never going to talk me out of loving it. My favorite Michael Jackson song is this super deep cut that you've never heard of. Um, Just kidding. It's not, (laughs) it's not. My favorite song is human nature. Again, it's, it's one that just, I think will always be my favorite song, no matter what it always has been, it always will be. And in some ways, it's a little bit surprising to me because I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards the kind of up-tempo Michael Jackson songs, but um, I love the dancier stuff, but human nature, it's just, oh man, it's so beautiful. It cuts right to my heart. I will always love it. The vocals are lovely and, and Michael's performances of it always get me to I I just I call human nature in particular, especially when I'm watching like him singing it live. I call it comfort music. It just there's something about it that I just I, I'm mesmerized. Um and I don't think I'll ever get over that. I have been kind of doing a little bit of rediscovering of some of the older Jackson's music lately too, which I thought I'd throw out there, which I don't hear get talked about all that much. So I thought I would share those here. So from Victory, I have really been listening a lot and loving. Another one that people are probably going to tell me is a little bit dorky, but uh, I love the song Wait. Oh my goodness. And I know this is primarily uh, Jackie Jackson, but I do love this song. I have had it on repeat this whole past year. I don't know why I never really appreciated it that much before, but it is one of my favorite tracks lately. And again, I think that it's about the joy it gives me that song. I like envision this like eighties kind of dance driven kind of cheese ball movie in my head when it comes on. And um, I can't even find like driving. I'm like tapping my hands on the steering wheel. It just gives me joy. It gives me joy. Since I had my child a year and a half ago, my daughter, I've had a lot of stress and exhaustion in my life. And that song never fails to give me energy and give me happiness in the midst of what can be pretty stressful parenting experiences. One other song that's been on heavy rotation for me that is not one I listened to that much in my earlier life is also from Victory, Be Not Always, another ballad. That song is so powerful, so raw, Michael, you can just feel the emotion in his voice. And that song I think is interesting because it also reminds me, you know, it was recorded much earlier in his career, but it really reminds me of like a much later MJ. And again, it's a song that like, I feel it kind of surprises me. I feel like it doesn't get talked about a whole lot and it's, yeah, it cuts deep for me. So those are some of my favorites right now. But as for kind of the, all the big, you know, MJ songs, I think my faves are always, always changing, but human nature always is is number one. So going on to our next question on Twitter, Dane Thompson chimed in with another favorites question. I do want to mention first, Dane is one of those fans who does go way back. And if you have not heard it, you should definitely check out his episode with us. It's uh, episode 112. And on that episode, we're, we're also a bunch of longtime fans, uh, Q, Marnie Cochran, and Raj uh, Zaman, and our favorite Bjorn Hannibal. Uh, 
who's uh, off doing living an amazing life right now. I'm so happy for you, Bjorn. Uh, anyway, check that one out. That that episode in particular is really great because you get this insight into kind of the longtime fan circle and some of the stuff that was going on back at the height of like mainstream Michael Jackson fandom. Um, Marnie has some great stories and she won the contest for being like number one, Australia's number one Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Anyway, Dane asks, why is the bad era your favorite? I mean, it's the era I grew up with. It ties into my obsessive love of Captain EO. And it also represents, in my view, Michael Jackson at the peak of his power. For someone, I think, who had a pretty heartbreaking life, ultimately, I find this to be a comfort. So it's kind of my happy place. I mentioned that term comfort music earlier, and that's what the bad album and the whole bad era kind of represent to me. And now as far as his other work, I actually would say that, I mean, like the history era and the history album is certainly the most interesting. There's so much to explore there. I think Michael was really doing his most important work, but bad, it's just positive. It makes me feel good. I I truly do feel like Michael was in control of his career and his image and kind of at the peak in many ways of like his power as an artist. And I just, I like thinking about him that way. It, it's really a simple as that. I also love, regarding the bad era, the elements of artistry, brilliance, collaboration, playfulness, and there's even a little bit of camp that was thrown into this era of his career that I just find very satisfying. <laughs> so so that's why I love it. Uh, it'll always be, though, connected to kind of my initial, I think, discovery of Michael Jackson, and it'll always be number one in my heart. So uh, next, we have a question from Instagram from Mum of Superstars, and she asks, have you met any of the Jackson family? Yes, I've been very lucky to meet a few members of the Jackson family. I have met Taj and Tayana, and who uh, they recently had their new baby. It's the third T. They have three T's now. I'm so happy for them. Their new baby daughter, I think she's about a month or so old now, and her name is Tylee. She's adorable. So congrats, guys. Super happy for you. Um, so I've met them. I've met TJ, I met Tito, uh, both at Thriller Night. Thriller Night, I mean, that was like such an amazing <laughs> collection of people. Uh, I did see Prince and BG there. I didn't get to really personally talk with them. Um, I would love to meet Paris. And I would also love to see Paris perform. I really am genuinely a fan of her solo music and really admire her. So I hope I get to see her at some point. And I've seen the Jacksons also multiple times. I had hoped to get to see them uh, backstage when I went to their really great concert here in San Diego a few weeks ago, but it just wasn't quite meant to be. I think the logistics were too difficult because Catherine was there and like the entire Jackson family was there. And so I think they went backstage immediately when the show was ending. And I think any backstage visits weren't going to happen. So um, so that was a little bit of a bummer, but it's okay. I had an amazing time at that show. I posted photos. You should go look at our social media. I was like right up in the front row, standing next to Ron Pia and having a great time and screaming a lot. And it was great. Also, I was sitting actually pretty close to a, several of the Jackson family members. I was just a few seats away from Siggy, for example. And that was fun. I kind of did a few frantic little waves and I loves you. I love yous <laughs> over to them, but tried not to bother them too much. But uh, yeah, that's that's who I have met. Um, hope, hopefully can meet more of the Jackson brothers at some point. 
So on Instagram, let's see, uh, the username is Etabay. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I'm sorry. This person asks, which of Michael's concert tours do you wish to go back in time for and watch live? The bad concerts for sure. I think probably, you know, like history probably would have been a bigger spectacle and everything, but bad for reasons I've already told you 100%. Um, This person also asked a couple other questions. So the next one is, which movie character, past or present, would Michael have been a good fit for? Man, I don't know. That's such a tough question. I'm somebody, I know people like to think about this. I'm somebody who, I, I don't know, I just have trouble. I know Michael was really interested in film, but I have trouble imagining him really embodying other characters. That's just my personal take on it. I loved him in The Wiz. I thought in The Wiz, that role like really actually tapped into who he was at that time and worked out really well. I also, of course, love Moonwalker, but there he's just playing himself. But he does a heck of a great job, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It's honestly not not something I think about too often. I would have been very curious to see what kind of movies he may have made if he'd actually been able to, you know, really dive deep into that part of his career later in his life. Um, another question here from the same person is, was Michael cool or a dud in your school growing up? That's such an interesting question. So um, it's got me thinking back to like elementary school too. So I was born in 1982. And so by the time that my classmates were actually kind of paying attention to music and talking about it in school in a serious way, was unfortunately kind of right around the same time the first allegations were being made. So Michael was not cool when I was in school, sadly. I do remember that there was this little skinny kid in my elementary school who I think he had recently moved to the U.S. from Romania. And he was a huge Michael fan. And he would wear this replica Beat It jacket to school like every day. And he would dance in the playground and wear a glove. And he was teased. Um, he, I was friends with him a little bit, but we weren't really close. But I do remember him and we'd, we'd hang out. And I did have a really good friend who's actually still one of my best friends named Katya. She had actually also immigrated from Eastern Europe, strangely enough, um, during elementary school. And we were both big MJ fans at the time. And I remember we were these just, you know, still little girls, like, we'd spend a lot of time defending him. And like our Barbies would have conversations defending Michael Jackson. But we were also pretty quiet kids. And at that point, you know, looking into kind of the, you know, early and mid 90s, uh, I guess, kind of right as I was ending elementary school and kind of going, well, I guess going through, um, going into junior high at that point, Michael's image was going through a tough moment. So no, he was not cool, but that didn't stop us by any means. You know, we were always doing our thing. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of you had that had that same experience. I wish there had been more fans at my school. But um, I also went to school on the, like in this little beach town. And, you know, it was a lot of surfers and things like that. So I don't know, Michael Jackson wasn't wasn't necessarily like the music everybody was listening to anyway at the time. So in any case, but I love seeing kids now who discover Michael. And we regularly get emails like from parents telling us how much their six-year-old loves Michael and sending us like a photo. Um, I'm sure you guys listened to our episode with Cheryl and June and hearing June's whole story of growing up being an MJ fan. Um, I just love it. It really makes my heart happy. So um, so moving on to my next question, we have from Instagram, Sanja1980 says, first of all, thanks for all your hard work on the show. Thank you, Sanja. 
questions. Who was your favorite guest so far? And who do you wish you could interview for the show in the future? Now, I've had several people who asked about future wish list guests. So I will cover all of those here. I think my favorite guest was John Barnes. John is so special to me. And I'm still so sad he's not with us anymore. And I just feel like he never got the credit he really deserved. Actually, if you listen to one of our recent episodes, 158, with John Cameron, he makes some great comments about John Barnes as well. So check that out if you haven't heard it. But um, our episodes with him, our original interview was episode 89, the John Barnes special, which I am just so honored I got to even be a part of. It was really amazing. And then after he passed, we did a great roundtable with Jamin led that one. I was not on it. Also, uh, Brad Buxer um, and Matt Forger and Brad Sundberg. And that was really looking back at their memories of him and was wonderful. But that is my, I've, I've done so many episodes I love, but I think that would is, will always be the one that's closest to my heart. And then I feel as well, really contributed to Michael Jackson history because John really didn't do a lot of interviews during his life. And so we really got to do something that actually added to our understanding of his work and also Michael Jackson's legacy. So that was that was great in terms of real contribution. I think um, that John episode is my favorite. In the future, I also got asked just to go down a question. Um, this is connected. Constantinos uh, on Threads asked, with no limitations, who would you like to interview on the show? And so there, with kind of future wish list, well, as far as people who had maybe have passed away, I think Q also asked if if we had anyone who isn't with us anymore who we would have liked to interview. Of course, I mean, if we could have ever had Bruce Swedeen on the show, it would have been amazing. I think that it'd be amazing to be able to ask Quincy Jones certain questions. I don't know that he's, I think he's probably like, you know, probably too elderly at this point to to get real answers out of him and not that he'd probably pay attention to us anyway. But um, I think it would be fascinating to have like a quick and dirty uh, <laughs> interview just asking a few things. Not that we get real answers, but who knows. I wish we could have had a follow-up with John Barnes, actually. I think there was more to explore there. And I think our interview with him opened up a lot of you know additional questions that maybe still have not been fully answered. And current wish list, I would say probably Bill Patrell. I think there's just so much to talk about around uh, Dangerous in particular with him. Um, so hopefully we can lock that in. I do want to say, you guys, that we do have several special guests we are working on right now. Um, but it's been one of those times where the timing just like isn't quite working out for anybody. So we're working on it. We always have things going on in the background, please know. And um, I promise those will happen soon. I did have some great suggestions, in fact, from Porter Wolf. Now, I need to say one thing about Porter, you guys. Porter, I don't know Porter. Porter, if you're listening, I don't know you that terribly well, but you have been communicating with us for years now. And Porter, I have to give you credit. You are an amazing person. Porter sends us feedback on episodes all the time. He sends us these incredible, like, deep dive questions. He is one of the most deeply engaged and informed, and I think younger, I believe you're, you're still fairly young, Porter, uh, fans I've ever met. And he always just immediately has all these incredibly intelligent, detailed questions about studio history and about all kinds of things. So Porter, 
I think you need to, at some point, start your own podcast because Porter, you have done so much research and have so much info in that MJ fan brain that I want to hear about everything you know. So please, please consider doing a project in the future. I would love to hear from you. But uh, Porter did actually have some some names I thought I'd throw out here um, that certainly could be worth adding to our wish list. He has uh, Buzz Cohan, Freddie Deman, Gary Hearn, also Bill Bottrell, and Nick Brandt. So Porter... Help us make it happen. We we would love for you to <laughs> to help us with our wish list. Porter's great. If you don't know Porter, go find him on social media. He's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna move on to let's see a question on Twitter from Jay, and uh, also had asked about guests and said if you could be on the set of only one of Michael's short films, which one w- would it be and why? Can I say Captain EO? I, I don't know. <laughs> Does that count? It would be Captain EO if I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> but maybe that's cheating. If I can't do that, then probably probably Smooth Criminal. I think the dance sequence in Smooth Criminal in particular is just beyond mind-blowing. And to be in that room in this like fairly small set with what was going on choreography wise on that short film, um, I think would be, I, I just can't even wrap my head around it. So yeah, I mean, iconic Michael Jackson, right? Like you just can't do much better than that. And, um, and again, I mean, MJ, like in his absolute element. So that would be my, my top pick, I guess. So next question from Twitter, uh, Ganesta Coleman this is another person, Gadesta, you have also been a really long time listener and you always engage with us and please know we really appreciate it and appreciate all the support. So she asks, why don't you have a live stream and a call-in show so MJ fans can talk openly on different topics? Thank you so much for coming into my life. Oh, thank you. So we don't do a live stream. It's just because it really doesn't fit our format. It's just part of our approach to how we do things on the show. I think we like to do pre-recorded you know, interviews and discussions because we like to, you know, edit them just to, we don't edit the content just so you guys know. Every once in a while, if there's some really, really important reason to take out one's question or something, if um, the guest asked us to or something like that, we might make a small content edit, but um, that's extremely rare just so you guys know. And I bring that up because every once in a while, I will get a question from people saying, you know, do you guys like edit it so it sounds so the an interview tells a certain narrative? We do not. We absolutely do not. Like I said, it's extremely rare for us to actually cut any content from an interview. Our editing process is ninety nine point nine percent just about having clean audio um, and making sure to kind of take out you know, if somebody needs to go to the restroom or something like that. But anyway, um, that's just kind of our preference and what we like. And we think of our show, I'm speaking for Jamin a little bit here, but we think of our show as, uh, you know, a document of Michael Jackson history as, as much as possible. So I think just from that perspective, having something like a live stream just doesn't quite fit with with what we do and the way we see the show. It's kind of a permanent record, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. But, you know, I think it's a great idea. And I think, you know, I think there are other content creators doing that kind of thing. So, you know, hey, make it happen. You know, you, <laughs> you can do it too. And like, invite us on and we'll have a chat. I think that'd be fun. But yeah, it just doesn't really fit the the way we envision our show. But maybe, maybe someday we'll open up and try doing that. 
we certainly do want to hear what you guys think too. It's not that it's just a one-way um, echo chamber here. We, you know, that's that's where social media comes in, and we do listen to everything you guys say and see all your messages. If we don't ever sometimes respond, it's just because we're kind of overloaded. But we see that stuff, and you know, things like episode ideas as well, um, suggestions. We we really do take all that into consideration. So please keep keep sending that stuff. My next question is from Q, co-founder of the show over on Threads, which we have not done too much on Threads. We'll try to eventually get better about that. Um, So he also asked about guests, which I've sort of addressed. And um, then he had a cheeky second question. He writes, with talk of a director calling out Captain EO as prime material for a feature film, I personally don't see this happening, but it could be fun. Tell us about your first ever Captain EO experience, and if it ever became available as a physical product, it won't. Uh, What would you include in the package? So first of all, just a little bit of backstory on this in case you missed it. Yeah, so the director of a haunted mansion, Justin Simeon, wants to adapt Michael Jackson's Captain EO Disney attraction into a feature film, supposedly. Um, he had said uh, during Comic-Con, he, the quote, I, I'm going to repeat this because I, I enjoy this quote. He said, Captain EO, let's go. Listen, I know it's it's out of commission, okay? I know that it's not technically a ride, but I'm ready. I need some singing and I need some dancing and I need some jerry curl juice in outer space immediately. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that, Justin Simeon. Totally. We definitely need some jerry, jerry curl juice and outer space. But also certainly agree with Q. I don't see how in a million years that would happen. And I also don't see Captain EO becoming a physical product, um, even just the current version. I just think there are too many rights issues. It was such a... It was, such a major collaboration between big players that I just can't imagine the the rights issues they have to try to sort out with that property. So I don't think it will ever happen. Um, but as far as your question, so my I don't actually remember my very first time seeing Captain EO, but um, Captain EO, of course, opened in 1986 at Disneyland a few days after the opening in Florida. And I, so I would have been four at that time. And that is like, I was like three and a half or four, right, was right when my parents started taking me to Disneyland a lot. So I would have gone probably very soon after it opened. So while I don't remember my very first time going, I will say that I remember a time when for Captain EO, you still had to wait in a really long line to see this short film. And I remember the excitement and I remember the videos like showing while you were waiting in line. And uh, my mother tells me that as the moment we would leave, I would force them all to get back in line again. So... (laughs) I had very patient parents. Thank you to my mother and my father. I appreciate you. And then I I kept going. We would go to Disneyland. I didn't go all the time. I was never a pass holder, but we would go a couple times a year. And and I always saw Captain EO. Always, always, always. It was like part of my Disney experience. And I loved Captain EO. And I always had the pins. I had all of the original, well, not original, original. I have, but I have a lot of the merch from, purchased actually at Disneyland. And I do actually have the one original back from the late 80s piece of merch I have from when I was a kid is I do have the 
fuzzball stuffed toy, which is a treasured, you know, piece item for me, collector's item. I love him. I don't have any of the other plushies, but maybe I'll get them at some point. I'm trying to, I'm trying to tone down my <laughs> MJ collecting right now because my my child's belongings take priority. But yeah, I have some of that stuff. And then when they brought Captain EO back after Michael's passing, um, you know, I bought all the merch again. So I have a bunch of it. And so that's great. So yeah, I just remember it being um, being really an event for a long time. And then when they did bring it back, I was so going back and seeing it again, I was just, of course, like bawling my eyes out. And, um, and it was just as great as I remembered it, you know, on the big screen. I wish I so wish that we did have like a good resolution version of it available, at least on YouTube. Um, everything is I mean, at least it's there, we can see it, right. But it'd be nice to have a, a good version. In any case about a package. I mean, dude, there is so much packaging and merchandising opportunity with something like Captain EO. So if it ever were to be released, I think that I mean, okay, number one, I would love if they would do Funko Pops of the characters. So of course, Captain EO, but Fuzzball, Hooter, IDOD, Major Domo, Minor Domo, love, perfect. They fit that format perfectly. It'd be fantastic. They did have those little figurines, um, you know, at the time, which are pretty cool, but the, the, I think the Funko Pops would be great. And also I think these days there are, I mean, it would be awesome with like a product, of course, to have like a little, you know, visual like documentary booklet, with it again, because so many people were involved in this project. It's just, it's staggering. I feel like we don't really see stuff like this anymore, but also if they were going to try to do some creative merch stuff, I think there are some great artists doing Captain EO tribute stuff these days. So there's Anna, uh, Anna Maria Ward, who's, you know, um, I know been connected. We've known her for a long time at the show. She has this project called Captain EO year one. Um, I don't know if much has happened with that lately, but it kind of imagines Captain EO world before, um, (laughs) before 1986 and which is cool. And I know she's been developing that. And then also Nate Hernandez, who's known as I'm Captain EO on social media. As I'm sure you guys know at this point is doing all kinds of MJ inspired stuff. Um, and he's done a lot of Captain EO stuff as well. So I think there are a lot of opportunities here for some really fun like stickers and shirts and posters. But hopefully if they were to ever do any kind of package, it would include some of the, um, you know, archival stuff, uh, photos, things like that, because it just really was like such a fascinating project. There have been several podcasts lately too that have done like micro histories of Captain EO, which are very, very worth listening to. Um, because yeah, it was such a unique, unique project. And again, I just don't think we see things like that anymore. Okay, so let's uh, move on. So now we're going to get into some questions around estate projects. So first of all, from MomoWells65 on Instagram, this person asks, what is your favorite Michael Jackson estate project, the MJ musical not included? I have not seen the MJ musical yet, just for the record. I am excited that it will be traveling, but um, and it'll be coming actually now to San Diego, which I just learned. So I won't even have to go to LA. Hooray, hooray. My only disappointment with the traveling show, of course, is that Miles Frost will not be part of the cast. And I've I heard that he is phenomenal, but that's okay. I'm still really excited to see it. Otherwise, though, my definitely my favorite estate project is MJ1 in Vegas. I've seen it many times and I think it's really 
great. Please take the time to go see it. It's just a lot of fun and just really well done and really respectful. And I, I think is just very like positive and, and um, taps into what we all love about Michael's spirit as an artist and in person. Now, of course, this also, then I have to mention, you know, at the MJ cast, I know we are very, very critical of a lot of what the estate does. I, there's a question actually I'm going to get to in one minute that taps more into this. So I don't support every single thing the estate does. I try to kind of take it project by project. But I think in the case of MJ1, that is something because it is so well done. I can support that. So I do. And I feel the same way about the musical as well. So I will definitely be reporting on that when I see it. I think it's not coming to San Diego until March or something. So, and then another Instagram question is from, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Zuadan, I believe, or Sudan. And this question is, is the MJ1 fan brunch on Michael's birthday worth going to? I haven't been. I don't know. I actually have not gone to the big a state sponsored party for his birthday in Vegas. That for me kind of, I've always been a little bit iffy about it because that to me is like a full on celebration of the estate. So I've always been a little bit hesitant. Maybe I'll get there eventually just to finally check it out, but I haven't been to the brunch, but I know it is connected with MJ one. So, Hey, if you're going to be there, check it out. Let us know if you think it was worth it. Um, And I do know, I do know a lot of people love the Vegas events. So there's that. Then we have a question from Joshua Klein via email and uh, Josh, who's based in Tucson. Thanks for putting your location, Josh. Josh says he, that he's been binging a lot of episodes for the past year. love the show and have been keeping up with new episodes ever since. Thanks, Josh. I have heard plenty of discussions around everyone's feelings around the MJ estate. And in some ways, I completely agree with some of the opinions given. But as a casual fan of Michael, is it morally wrong to also buy new products and or attend estate hosted events such as the birthday celebrations in Vegas? I like Michael and look forward to anything they put out. But sometimes I feel like I'm on a seesaw. Thank you for taking the time to see my question. Keep up the amazing work and all you're doing and keep Michaeling. Thank you so much for the really kind message, Josh. And yeah, so basically to expand on what I was just saying, it is hard. I have struggled with it myself. I think that kind of talking with people who have been in the fan community a really long time, all of the missteps that the estate has made, and some would call them much more than missteps, resonate really deeply, especially for those fans, because they've been seeing it for a long time. I think for newer fans, it's a little bit harder to see and you want to engage with something you love, right? And you want to support it. For me, being part of this team, I'm very much on the side of not being comfortable with a lot of what the estate does and not feeling that they have Michael's actual legacy at the forefront of their priority list. That said, It is tough because if we do nothing, if we completely walk away and refuse to support anything, does that mean the projects are going to disappear? Does that mean Michael's legacy disappears? I don't know. It's hard to say. Everything ultimately is driven by money, right? So if we're not there to support something and buy it, that said, on that same note, I think we can use our dollars and our voices to support the stuff that we feel is going in the right direction. So I am of the mind that I'm very wary of the estate with lots of their projects, but when the right 
things come along, I am willing to show that I'm there for it. So that would be MJ1. That would be the musical from what I hear. We'll see about it when I think of it. And, you know, but that also means voicing your opinion when you think it's the wrong strategy on something. I think if we just stay quiet and just support every single thing in the same way or, you know, never say anything at all, that doesn't help either. So, you know, I think you have to find the truth for yourself that makes sense. Everybody feels a little bit differently about it. I don't think there's anything wrong, certainly, with enjoying Michael's work. Like, that is why we are here. But I just think you want to come to each project with a critical eye and keep in mind the misdeeds that the estate has shown towards the person they are supposed to be supporting. So that's just all to keep in mind. But you have to do what works for you ultimately. That's what I believe. So Porter, who I mentioned earlier, Porter via email, he had a bunch of questions. So I'll, I'm going to answer the ones I can, but some of these are deep dive questions, Porter. So I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so one of Porter's questions is, if you had creative control of the estate, what would be the one project you would make and what would it include? A new album, short film box set, album deluxes, a concert release. It's been mentioned that an estate roundtable es- episode has been in the works. Any update if that's still the case? Estate roundtable, yes, that will happen. Um, although, you you know, we talk about the estate so much already that some people are probably sick of it. Uh, yeah, well, we will figure that out. But um, as far as your main question here, so this is like really simple, but I would love a big fancy box set of his short films in high definition. And with some, I mean, if we could add some concerts in there, that'd be great too. But I mean, he, Michael's work was so like defined by his short films. They're so crucial to how we look at his whole body of work and that the vision box set, for example, was just truly terrible. So I realize these days, probably the priority is to actually slowly roll out uh, remastered short films online. That maybe is their plan to do that over the course of many years. And I can support that. I think it does make it accessible. Um, I don't know that a newish, like, you know, let's say 22 year old fan is going to go buy a box set of CDs. I mean, how many people even have CD players anymore? But I still think a really beautifully made like box set with remastered short films could still be the kind of keepsake and collector's items that would sell. I think there would be a market for that. I think it'd be well received in the community with some kind of, you know, nice booklet with it. That'd be a nice thing to have. And that's all the, you know, that's the stuff too that I know there, I know there's like some controversy over should the estate be releasing certain like unfinished pieces and and I mean, I'm the mind of the mind that as long as they're presented as unfinished pieces, I think it's really interesting to hear some of that stuff. But I also know that Michael sometimes felt strongly about only wanting to release things when he really did feel they were perfect. And of course, for him, perfect was a very, very high bar. But the short films, he did want those to be released. And it would just be nice to have a really nice quality collection of them to keep. I don't know if that's going to happen in the the online world we're in now. Um, They may just say there's not enough market. And I would also love to see some of the concerts in good quality and also on DVD um, or Blu-ray 
again, will that happen? We're probably more likely going to see that stuff be released online. But even that would take, I would take that, right? Like right now, there's just, there's just not much. So fingers crossed. And Porter, again, I think you should make a podcast and you, I want to hear all your thoughts on all this. <laughs> Porter, you also, Porter had also asked a couple of questions regarding level of completion for songs like Buffalo Bill and Make or Break. And what about Rich Girl, which had was made with Brad Buxer during history? Honestly, I don't have any grand insights into those songs beyond what gets circulated in fan discussions anyway. So I don't have a lot to add there. And uh, lastly, Porter had asked about John Barnes and if there were any stories he told at the seminar where I saw him along with um, Matt Forger and Bill Petrell, pretty special, that I was unable to ask during his special episode. Porter, I really want to answer that question, but I actually need to find my notebook from that seminar. And at the moment, I don't remember where I put it. So I'm going to answer that question eventually. I promise I will get back to it. As you can see, Porter is just amazing, you guys. So Porter, get your project going here. I want to see it. I'm going to move on to some other questions. So mixing history, uh, this is on Instagram. This is, that's JD, although JD, I believe you now go by Jace Bain. He makes, he makes music. He's a talented guy. History in the Mix YouTube channel. You should check these things out. He writes, uh, he does videos about Michael Jackson, but about, I know, Elvis and 80s movies and like Back to the Future and all kinds of stuff. So he does great work. He has asked this question. You're writing the upcoming MJ biopic. How do you open and with what song? So, okay. So this gets into all my feelings around the biopic, which we had a couple other questions about as well. And, you know, makes me think about what the goal of the biopic is. And what we know is that the biopic is not for fans, right? Or it's not for serious fans. The chances that we're going to be happy with this thing are minimal. And that's just, I think, the case for any biopic that is not specific to Michael Jackson. We could see that with the inevitable comparison I'm going to bring up, Bohemian Rhapsody. I know that film was beloved by a very general mainstream audience, but anyone who knows anything about Freddie Mercury and Queen found that film very problematic for all the factual inaccuracies in it, which of course are extra problematic when you think about the fact that a film like that ends up kind of rewriting history, right? That becomes the history. That said, what was so successful, of course, about that film is that it was so massive and it brought this huge renewed wave of beloved adoration for Queen. So in terms of general legacy building, which again, I realize from some people's perspective is just completely problematic because of the problems with the film. But from the widest view possible, the most general view possible, uh, that kind of success can only help the longevity of a brand. In that case, the brand being Freddie Mercury and Queen. I mean, how many people turned their profile picture into a Freddie Mercury photo for like three years after that film came out, right? It wasn't just the month it was released. It was, it went on and on. And what, when I talked to people who really loved that film, 
what they loved about it. They don't, you know, for them, it's not a problem that there were some historical inaccuracies. But what they loved about it was that they felt like they were getting to the heart of like who Freddie Mercury was as a person and artist, right? We, we all know this. What I enjoyed about Bohemian Rhapsody was the recreation of the Live Aid show. So I never got to see Queen live. And that scene for me brought Freddie Mercury into life in a way that will always stay with me because I understood a little bit like who he really was. I mean, I've always been a Freddie Mercury, like very casual fan, but I don't know that much about his life. But that performance, you know, it, it brought me it brought me home, right? For better or worse. And the ripple effects, I would say, of that film were remarkable. So turning to the Michael biopic, I think, you know, the goal ultimately is the same because they're not going to make fans happy. I don't think there's any scenario where they can make fans happy. I think taking Jafar on as Michael is a brilliant move because, and it's probably the closest thing to be able to make fans happy for, you know, a couple of reasons that are going to be clear to any fan. Number one, there's no one in the world who looks like Michael Jackson, and he is about the closest person probably on planet Earth who could possibly even resemble Michael Jackson's. That does help. And also coming from the family, he has an understanding of Michael Jackson's personal legacy, like as a human being and who he really was and has a loyalty to him that will inform, I think, his approach to the role and is great because if it was just some random actor, they're never going to make the fans happy because they're going to come with like context and maybe they're conflicted. Maybe they said some anti, slightly anti MJ thing 10 years ago and whatever it might be. So I think it was a brilliant move to ha- take him on as the Michael role, both from the perspective of, you know, having someone who actually does have some insights into. Michael Jackson from a different perspective than just about anybody else, um, except someone in the Michael Jackson family could have. But also just to kind of shut up the fans a little bit. I hate to put it that way, but I think that is part of it. I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever to Jafar with with that. I know he's worked incredibly hard for this and I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to see what he does. I can't wait. But I do think those elements I mentioned come into play a little bit as well. In terms of the film itself, yeah, my hope is just that it will capture a little piece of who Michael was as an artist and that people will remember that he really was the best, the greatest of all time. Like he really was. And to be reminded of how much he dealt with in his life. And even through all that, he created some of the best music and best performances ever in the history of mankind. So to your actual question, Jace, about how do I open with what song? Um, with with the context of what I just said, I think that keeping it laser focused on who he was as an artist, as the king of pop, I think from a super general mainstream perspective is the way to make this work. So I kind of think opening with him like on stage, like even from his perspective or something and like seeing like on, I don't know, at Wembley or something doing human nature. I mean, oh my gosh, like maybe at first, like from his perspective, like looking out at this massive crowd, just letting it sink in initially from the opening scene of the film, just 
that this artist was on a different level than we can understand. And I think maybe putting it in that larger than life context, then hopefully if we get the really human side of it later in the film, it'll also kind of hit home the idea that, you know, he was dealing with some really human struggles in the context of this experience that none of us can understand. Like, I just don't even know how he, I don't know how he got through, like even having, he didn't have a normal life, right? But any, anything even resembling functioning like a normal human being must have been so hard with the scale of celebrity and grandness he was living in and and, and complexity too. So I don't know. I, I was thinking kind of, yeah, on the stage, like from his perspective and then, Maybe that be the, that be kind of an opening scene. Then kind of going back a little bit and using a song like "Music and Me" or something like really ground us in the music, the music and the performance. It's who he was. Yes, that is simplistic. <laughs> I'm not going to throw you any like curveballs with my ideas around this, but from a super mainstream perspective, from a casual fan perspective that I'm thinking of, um, as far as the people who are actually going to like possibly be the core audience for this film, that's what I think works. Um, As far as closing out, and of course, the whole middle of the film, I'm not going to guess what this film's going to be about. We haven't really heard that much. I think with Jafar on board, I think we are probably looking at like bad era, most likely. Um, But I'm I'm not going to speculate that much. I want to see what they do. I'm really, really curious about it. And then I think closing out, and I see Eva Eva 7 had also followed that up and and asked uh, with what song would I close out? I mean, I would probably close out with like Man in the Mirror or something. I don't know that like using some of the like angrier songs is the best way to go for this. I mean, it's what interests me as a real fan, but I just don't think it necessarily serves the purpose of this film. Or I also thought even maybe a song like like History from History might be kind of interesting. Anyway, I'd love to hear your ideas on this because I'm sure some of you have been thinking about like what every single scene of the movie should be. And I'd, I'd like to know <laughs> what you think. I also did go to question related to this from Sydney on email who said, are you excited about the biopic? And Sydney fears that the media will mock and pick at it the minute a trailer is released. And I fear that these movements for victims would have something to say. I wouldn't be surprised if people protest against the film when it's time for a theatrical release. People protested against Victor Salva's film, which I understood because he was actually guilty. But MJ isn't. But some people aren't open to hearing that he's innocent. I also fear that the other film directors will get the idea to make a negative movie about MJ. I don't know. I mean, look, we're at a point, I feel like we just had to keep pressing forward and supporting Michael Jackson and supporting the evidence for his innocence as much as we can. There's always going to be a slice of the population who just has decided he's guilty and that's what it is. And you can only do so much about that. If the biopic is angled in the right way, I'm hoping it will work and really resonate with people. There are going to be folks who are against it, but I find that people's like deep love of Michael Jackson seems to eventually win out. I don't mean that to say, I'm not trying to say that like it wins out against him being a problematic person. Obviously, I don't believe that. I believe he was innocent and, you know, was the victim of extortion and everything else along the way. But from the casual fans perspective, who's still debating these things or hasn't done the research, I think that keeping them anchored to who he was as an artist, keeping them listening to his music is key. And then I think hopefully over time, as the truth becomes more and more apparent, that set of the casual fan community will get 
fully on board with his innocence as well if they're not right now. But keeping them anchored, I think, to the music is primary to all that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. I'm going to try to we're I'm going to try to actually wrap up fairly soon, but there's a few little quick questions. Sue Vic Finley on Instagram said, someone just told me MJ had surgery to keep his voice high. I don't believe that is true, but I didn't know how to definitively say there is proof. Sue, there are plenty of clips online of Michael Jackson speaking in a deeper voice, so I don't see how that would be true. And I think showing those clips is evidence enough of that. So just Google or um, you know look that up on YouTube and you will find lots of stuff. Another question from Sue is, we saw MJ the musical. Yay. There was a part where he was signing papers to leverage Neverland against the Dangerous Tour. Did something like that really happen? Uh, Charlie Thompson has addressed this, I believe, previously on the show that as far as he knows, and also as far as I know, nothing like that ever happened. It seems to be something they added for dramatic effect. I don't know why they added added it because it does seem to be causing some confusion. Another question from Sue is, how can I watch Sonic Fantasy? It does not seem to be on any platform. Unfortunately, it seems that Sonic Fantasy, this is Marcos Cabrera's film, is still not available on main streaming services, but I know it will get there. It's coming. I've seen it. It's a great film. Really interesting. Of course, focused on on Bruce Swedine and also the making of Thriller. So hang tight. It will be available eventually. I think it's still making the rounds at some film festivals. Distribution with film you know, can be a real, a real challenge. So I know he'll, he will get there. One last question from Sue, actually two, I'm sorry, they're quick ones though, is Black Music Archive has released a YouTube video where they analyze Michael Jackson's voice. Um, have have I seen this? Is it a source to be trusted? I have not watched the whole thing, but I am a little bit aware of it. And I've kind of looked up the channel. And it seems like a really reliable source where this YouTuber is analyzing lots of people. And it seems to be like a well-made series and everything. So I don't see any reason not to trust it. But then again, I have not watched the whole thing. So I will watch it and I will make sure that we comment on a future episode about this. Sue had one last question (laughs) regarding Taj's project and Taj's docuseries, Rewriting History. So a little birdie is now whispering in your ear, that little birdie being me, that we will be getting some updates from Taj very soon. So just stay tuned for that. So we did get one question on Instagram from Cindy L. Messina, and she asks, what are your thoughts on the new MJ podcast called Think Twice? So I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm going to try to keep this short because I do want to wrap up. I have very big, very overwhelming feelings about this. I've only listened to one episode I could probably spend an entire episode just ranting about my problems with this project, but I also frankly don't want to give it the kind of promotion that the creators are hoping for. Look, they're looking to create massive debate and discussion. That's that's what they want. And I don't want to buy into that. But what I will say is this. I think the podcast series Think Twice has the opportunity to be an incredible audio documentary of Michael Jackson history. And that's what breaks my heart about it. It's very well made. It has lots of new interviews and fantastic archival audio clips. And also embedded in the core concept of this series is a love for Michael Jackson's artistry. 
So for example, in the first episode, they talk a lot about the ghosts short film and they share details. I didn't know they interview cast members. Um, they even interview Stephen King and I, all that's really interesting. I was captivated listening to it. And so there are these moments as I was listening, I thought, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And this really needs to exist as a bigger series. And it has a lot to offer that's important. And that hasn't really been fully explored in other venues. But the bottom line is that ultimately, Think Twice is a blatantly anti-MJ project. The co-hosts say that they are, quote, not here to debate whether he is guilty or innocent. But literally every moment, every moment in the series or in what I've listened to so far is viewed through the perspective of Michael Jackson being a child molester. And they twist a lot of facts around that narrative. And I can get into some of those details, but I'm going, instead of doing all that, (laughs) this is where I start doing a whole episode on this. I'm not going to. I will, at the end of this part of the talk, I will actually give you a couple links um, or references to find some resources around seeing a list of some of the problems with the episode. So despite all these good moments, there are these like huge glaring inaccuracies, which I personally find baffling, and which I've already seen quoted in articles as actual Michael Jackson history. So I'm worried that these inaccuracies are going to become, you know, quote unquote, real history. That is what is so concerning to me. These guys are being taken very seriously. And I have, at least myself, have not seen any comments from the creators about some of the major factual errors they make in the series. So ultimately, you know, despite some good qualities, I personally cannot support this series and I don't support listening to it. And that's just from listening to the first episode. (laughs) My understanding is there are actually more problems as you go on. So in terms of resources, if you want to check out specifically some of the issues, I know MJJ Repository online on Twitter has a really good thread, easy to find on the page, um, of some of the inaccuracies just within the very first episode. And also I wanted to pinpoint like, even if you listen to the trailer, there's like a two minute trailer you can listen to. I re-listened to that this morning before doing this recording. And this is quoted from that trailer. They say two things. They say in Billie Jean, and this is about what was driving them to do this podcast. In Billie Jean, Michael Jackson told us to take his advice and always think twice. So that's what we're doing. Okay, so there's one. The second quote is, think twice is our attempt to reconcile our conflicted emotions about Michael Jackson, the man with our deep-seated love of his art. So right there, to me, number one, they say right up front that even though later in the in the podcast, they say they're not here to tell us whether he was innocent or guilty. Right there in that two-minute trailer, they're saying that they are assuming his guilt because this whole project is about trying to reconcile our conflicted feelings of our love for Michael Jackson with who he really was as a human. That means that you're assuming guilt, right? And everything, like I said, everything in the podcast series is tainted by that perspective. Also, what I find ridiculous is that in this two-minute trailer, they quote Billie Jean and say, this is where the title of the entire trailer came from, that we're always supposed to think twice. And that's what we're doing. Except they're not, because if you actually think twice, then you think about how you're presenting information, right? And you think about whether you are presenting things in an even even keeled fair way, which they're not doing. So to me, when you look at like the, co- the way they have 
chosen in their two minute trailer that gives the whole concept of the piece and is trying to sell you on it. That's what they're presenting. And I just can't, I can't get past that. What I thought was interesting also in that trailer, that that little two minute trailer is like a summary. It's just a summary of the whole thing, which it should be. And it tells us a lot. In the first episode, they feature Doug E. Doug. Um, You'll hear, if you listen, you'll hear his whole story, which again, they try to kind of twist in weird ways. They have a quote from him where he says, I don't think you honor people by putting them on a pedestal. I think you honor them by examining them truthfully and holistically. Which again, yes, I'm 100% for. In fact, I feel like that is like the definition of what we do on the MJ cast, but it's not what they're doing in this podcast. They're doing the exact opposite. They're looking everything through the lens of guilt, whether they realize it or not. Maybe it, maybe they don't even realize it, but that's even a bigger problem to me. In any case, no, I have massive problems with this. I could go on and on about it. I will stop there. It has a lot to offer. It's so disappointing and heartbreaking that it takes the angle it does because I think it could be a great project otherwise. That is what I think. (laughs) So I did have some allegations questions from Italian to go who also sent some really nice comments. Thank you so much. And um, also from Sydney about the current Robson trial and also June Chandler's testimony. I'm not going to answer those right now because they're really better suited for Charlie Thompson to answer. So I'm going to save those questions just so you know, and we will address those another time. And I also did get some questions about Lisa Marie. I'm not a Lisa Marie expert about her as a Scientologist. I don't know anything about her life if she was a Scientologist. I'm really not a Lisa Marie expert. And, uh, <laughs> I will say uh, freaking amazing on Twitter, who I know engages with us a lot over in that space, also said, why do you think no one ever talks about how Lisa and Michael kept getting back together and breaking up for four years after their divorce? I think it's awesome. They kept clapping cheeks. Uh, I don't know, but I just I I just wanted to make one brief comment that I do wish people would acknowledge more frequently that they really did love each other. I think there was a very genuine love at the core of that that marriage and which just, you know, how could anyone have a successful marriage in the face of such an insane level of celebrity with so much being thrown at you and going through such a difficult time personally to it's just no no marriage could have survived that but i do wish we could kind of change the narrative around that relationship i feel like i always hear a lot of negativity and i think there was something beautiful at the center of it and then I also wanted to just briefly mention and give you guys <laughs> give you guys a shout out that Jay, let's see, Jay Singh1385 asked if we can do a roundtable on living with Michael Jackson. Great idea. It's something we'll definitely consider. And there was a request from Andrew on Twitter to have a discussion about the state of shock, its origins, Frederick Mercury as much as possible. I would love to do that too. I think that is something that would be really fun on a more of a discussion episode. So thank you for that idea. And I'm sorry, I have two last quick questions. And Helly uh, from Finland asked about Michael, young Michael making an Illuminati sign. I don't know anything about Illuminati. So I, I just can't answer that. I'm sorry. But I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone else can. And last question from Sydney on email. Does anyone know if Prince Jackson is still interested in being a film director? I'm not personally sure, but I believe it is still in his realm of interest. Um, I did actually reach out to John Muto at Heal LA to find out more about Prince's current role with that program, just to kind of figure out what his priorities are career-wise at the moment. And he only told me that Prince is still heavily involved, quote, 
with the Heal LA Foundation. Although John is the only full-time employee, Prince is involved in all the high-level developments and decisions. So I don't quite know. I couldn't find a clear answer there. But you know, Prince is doing great work. I'm just so impressed with everything he's done with Heal LA. And I know like he is, I mean, he's like out there handing out meals and stuff when they do like food for the homeless and things like that. So I know he's really involved and supportive. And I think that's great. And I would love to see whatever projects he brings to the table. I'm I'm just so impressed in general with Michael Jackson's children. I think that they're dealing with so much weight on their shoulders. It's a kind of weight none of us can imagine. And they have managed to be pretty shockingly down to earth people, despite all that. So I have the highest regards for all of them. So you guys, I have now talked to you for an hour and a half. I promised I would keep this to 90 minutes. So I'm going to stop there. But, you know, thank you again so much for all of you who chimed in with your questions. Again, I really, really appreciate it. To be honest, this last year and a half to two years of my life, becoming a parent has been a wild, wild whirlwind. And I have felt pretty out of touch in a lot of ways with my MJ fam. And I haven't been able to do quite as much with the podcast, which Jamin and the whole team have just been so understanding of and I'm supportive of, which I cannot possibly appreciate more. It goes beyond words. So, you know, I've been feeling parenthood is weird. You feel it's on the one hand, it's the most amazing experience I've ever been through. On the other hand, it can feel lonely and weird. And it is to say that I've like missed, (laughs) I've missed engaging with you guys. I really, so many of us, we don't know each other in person, but I care about so many of you so much. And I feel so lucky to even call you, you know, Twitter or social media friends, right? So thank you. Thank you for engaging with our show. Thank you for sending in questions. It means the world to me. And we have lots more coming up this season. We are working on so much great stuff. I promise it will be coming together. We also have some special surprises we're in development on that I think are going to be really exciting that will come together in the coming months. So you know, stay tuned. Um, keep listening. Keep watching us on social media. We'll always be posting updates there. I do want to remind you as well that the MJ cast is across all of social media. We're on, um, except Facebook these days. Facebook deleted us and I have not been able to get us back through all those crazy algorithms. I've tried everything, guys. If anybody has a secret, let me know. But otherwise, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're on Mastodon, we are on Threads. Also, you can always go to our main website, themjcast.com. Also, we love to get listener support. There are different ways you can do that. We do have a shop on Redbubble with MJCast merch. Uh, Jamin has designed a bunch of really fun designs. We should get some new designs up eventually. We will do that. And um, it's a fun way to celebrate the Michael Jackson and the Jackson family and Captain EO. We have a Captain EO shirt up there and uh, and also support the podcast a little bit. You can also consider if you really enjoyed an episode and, you know, want to shoot us five bucks. Uh, we have a direct PayPal link on our website and all of those donations that we do get. So, you know, nothing goes in our pockets. Everything goes directly towards paying for things like our website, like our various, you know, hosting services and recording programs and occasional 
equipment purchases as well. So thank you in, for all of those. Some of you have been really amazing and given some generous donations. So we so, so, so appreciate it. It helps offset the costs we have of making this show and allows us to focus on the content itself. And also you can see everything else we have going on and learn about any other ways to support us through our website. Again, the mjcast.com. Otherwise, please know we love to hear from you guys. You can email us anytime at the mjcast at icloud.com or message us across social media. We do see those messages. We love to get them and we love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this Q&A. Hopefully we can, uh, you know, do some more of these in the future. And, you know, in the meantime, keep in touch with your MJ friends. It's so important that we stay together as a community, especially during these like crazy times going through this trial that's going to come up. It's a lot. It's a lot. We have to stick together and remember why we're here and remember who we are doing this for. Michael Jackson, his legacy. We love you, Michael. Thank you so much for tuning in, you guys, and take care until the next episode. This is Elise from Studio San Diego signing off and stay bad. Bye.